when they say white people have no rhythm, you think it's not that bad. And then you see this and you're like, oh, kill me now. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Let me put this into the old computer. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. A total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've all gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris, I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week I'm joined by the girl lover Alexis. Hey everyone. The cowardly creeper Ryan. Hiya. And the scream queen Paris. Hey sweets. This week we're commemorating everyone's favorite spooky day by diving back into an iconic 80s franchise. Before we do though, we have some follow-up. You want to talk about diving back? Let's dive back into 1954. Ooh, time machine. Let's go. (laughs) We recently reviewed Rear Window, and we wanted to hear what our listeners thought. Surprisingly, at least to me, maybe only to me, only 11% gave it a hack while 89% slashed it, which means that they think it still holds up. It is classic cinema. It will always hold up. Well, I'm glad that this exists for 89% of you. We have a comment from one of our listeners, Anthony, who said, When we took the Paramount tour in California, they took us by the studio where this was filmed and had some pretty interesting info involving the filming of this one. Everything you see is filmed inside a soundstage. They had the soundstage built specifically for this movie. Hitchcock also got in trouble because he had the building made taller than what was allowed at the time. He got in trouble for that. Also, when they started filming, they used real cars that were running. But the fumes were making the actors and the crew ill, so at some point, the cars you see moving are being pushed and pulled to appear like they're actually moving on their own. What an effect. You would think they would have figured that out beforehand, being in a closed environment. But I love that. I've always wanted to do one of those tours, and I've never been in the position to, but that kind of makes me want to go out to California or some crazy place to go do that. Yeah. Also, I wasn't on the rear window episode, but I have very strong feelings that this is the same set that was used for the balcony from Friends. (laughs) And since you're able to go on a tour in California to see the set still, I feel like there's a good chance. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. Google didn't tell me anything about it, but I believe it strongly in my little, little heart. What I believe strongly is that a 1950s movie set was accidentally gassing people with exhaust fumes. Look, we also know that Alfred Hitchcock was throwing birds at Tippi Hedren, so (laughs) really he just does it all for the art. Likely on purpose, honestly. Definitely on purpose. We need to make sure that these extras far off in the alleyway in the distance look like they're really coughing. The real smoker vibes. (laughs) And that's our follow-up. Well, 10 years after Rear Window, Hitchcock made a film called Marnie, which featured a young actress by the name of Kimberly Beck. 20 years later, Beck joined the ranks of women who faced off with the famous hockey mask killer. Now, when last we visited this franchise in episode 127, Chris Higgins fought for her life on Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th after a seemingly unstoppable maniac slaughtered her friends. Over the course of two films, he racked up a total of 20 kills, and now we'll see how that body count continues to rise during his killing spree. This week, we're talking about the 1984 film, Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter. Who's seen this one before? Honestly, we've reached that point of the Friday the 13th saga where I've lost track of where I am and where I've been. I've lost track of what I've seen and what I haven't. So, of course, I hadn't already seen this movie, but when I went in, I was like, is this one I know? Where did we start? Where are we ending? What's going on? We're getting in too deep. 
It's a good thing there's a previously on Friday the 13th before this movie starts. Oh my god, there really is. Really? Ryan, that's the most relatable comment because that's where I hit in this franchise. I feel like I've seen some of them enough to put a plot together, a continuous plot, and to be like, hey, I want to watch the next one in the series, but this is where I've seemed to have halted. So this is actually, I feel the first time I've ever seen this. Obviously, I've heard of this and everything that's come after it. Yeah, I actually have never watched a Friday the 13th movie that wasn't for this podcast, so I have not seen this one. But something that I thought was interesting was they called this the final chapter, and the number of Friday the 13th movies I had to sift through to find this one clearly says this wasn't the end. Absolutely. You know, really, part three was supposed to be the end, too. So this is the end three. And five and six, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the end. He goes to hell, then he goes to space. Really just a well-traveled man at this point. (laughs) I've seen this movie before. I've seen all the Friday the 13th. And this is one that I think falls into a little bit of a gray area for me. Something that I've really appreciated looking at how things pick up from two through this one is the continuity of it's one weekend, really. It's a weekend getaway for Jason. And that was something that I don't know that I really appreciated so early on when I was watching these films. From here, the quality, there is a huge shift. It definitely gets weird after this point. I wouldn't say it necessarily gets bad, but it for sure, like when you're watching these movies, you can tell what's early Friday the 13th versus what's later in Friday the 13th. But what were you all expecting going into this? You know, I was expecting the typical Jason going to some cabin killing some horny teenagers and looking forward to Tom Savini's special effects. So it hit everything on the dot. Yeah. I mean, the thing is with this one being kind of uh, lost in the middle, the good news is with Friday the 13th, you have very little to keep track of. It's really simple. There's a guy who kills people. We don't have a lot of intertwined storylines, you know, like maybe they'll introduce a few people. Maybe there'll be somebody new we care about, but mostly you just expect a lot of machete kills little axe kills, you know, short and simple, really. So I actually have so far mostly enjoyed the Friday the 13th movies. I liked the first two a whole lot. The third one I didn't care for. So this one, I was kind of like, you know what? They're still making it. I don't know what to expect at this point. But based on like the first 15 minutes or so, I thought they were going to do like a hospital episode. Like this was all going to be in a hospital. And I was like, no, Halloween already did this. Right. But luckily, they didn't hang out there for too long. That's exactly how I felt. I'm like, am I watching a Halloween movie or... No, you're watching the forthcoming of a franchise that is ripping off Halloween, really. Just reverse engineering the whole thing. Chris doesn't have any strong biases. No, no big deal. No, like legitimately, Friday the 13th, it's admittedly, right? You can watch Crystal Lake Memories. They did it and they made it because of how financially successful Halloween was. And Sean Cunningham even admits to just reverse engineering the script to follow the same formula. It's not like just me talking shit. They legitimately admit they just ripped off Halloween. And in this one, Jason stole the outfit too. Yeah. I stand by my comment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm just saying you can check the documentary. They all talk about it. I never said you were wrong. (laughs) This this was one that I walked into thinking, okay, I remember Tommy Jarvis being a thing. I remember the dope masks. This is where, you know, we, we get introduced to the Jarvis family and Tommy becomes a pretty prominent figure later on in the franchise and even in the Friday the 13th video game. But I, I feel like when I was looking at this in context of how I felt about it, 
it was just in a gray area of, eh, well, it's not the one where he gets the mask. It's not the one where he has the sack on his head. But I forgot that this was one of the more gory ones before we get into the crazy stuff that he gets into in more like modern cinema. So I found myself pleasantly surprised by the kills. And I know, you know, we'll talk about that later in the gore score, but for me, that was the bulk of that sensation. It was the, okay, this movie isn't as like bleh as I remembered. It's certainly, I don't think the, the highlight of the franchise, but I was expecting it to be far worse. So I think I walked into this setting it up well, but how are you folks feeling? I will be honest. I felt as if the kills were the main thing keeping me invested in this movie. I was happy to see that the campers this time around were sufficiently hot. Last movie, they were kind of lacking in the hotness department. And if there's one thing I need from these movies, it's to see hot, slutty teens get killed. Um, but for the most part, the stuff that they were using to pad the movie in between the kills wasn't really doing it for me. Yeah, I felt hate in my heart for the people in this movie. <laughs> At one point, I text Chris and said, I hate this movie. I felt so much disdain for the conversations that were had. And it went from it, from the very first scene. Well, okay. From like the second scene of the movie until most of the way through, just back to back. I was just like cringing. I was really miserable for a while while I was watching this. <laughs> That's interesting because I feel like these movies, I tend to get lost in pretty quick because I'm not sure what happened in the previous film. I'm not sure what's going to be happening in this film, obviously. So so I appreciate the fact that it gave me a recap because I feel like it's needed. And I don't know, I felt very entertained. And honestly, it, I think it felt like a really good rhythm to be in. There were highs, there were lows. They were like the lows were in a good point to me that felt it needed to be. So I felt thoroughly entertained, not entertained as if I had watched, you know, A Quiet Place for the first time. Mm -hmm. But it was what I expected for a Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, and, and Ryan, I don't disagree with you at all. A lot of the characters in this movie are absolutely miserable, aside, honestly, from Peter Barton, because that man does no wrong for me. Love them in Hell Knight, love him in this. But I think one of the things that, that really is a down point for this movie is a few of the characters, right? Like Crispin Glover's in this movie, and that just always blows me away. He looks so different. You think? I think he looks very different. Yeah, I, th I feel like he just looked weirder as he got on. I will agree with this. He literally, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. he. I mean, this is pre him doing Back to the Future, being George McFly. You mean the role he's most known for, Charlie's Angels. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going. I'm not touching that one. But looking at these characters, I mean, the performances are right where I would expect them to be, but the characters are just annoying, honestly. It's just, I really enjoy the Jarvis family. I loved the idea of having just a single mom separated from her husband with her two kids there on a getaway in this like cabin lakeside house. I really, really enjoyed that. I almost wish there was more of that energy versus the hot teens. Totally agree, Chris. At some point in this movie, I was considering if this was the like replacement for free porn in the 80s. <laughs> Is that why people watch this movie? Is that the whole point? It feels like the whole point in a few of these scenes. And for me, that was like my biggest disappointment. It just doesn't hit a note that works for me. But I will say my biggest happy surprise is how much I love 
every single kill in this movie. They really do something special here. And I was not prepared because I feel like a lot of times you just get a, you know, machete to the middle of the head or something. How many times can you hit someone in the head with a machete if you're Jason, you know? That's true. That's true. And I think that's part of, you know, as annoyed as I could have been by a lot of the characters, I think my distaste for them helped make the kills that much more satisfying. Yes, we're horrible people, but it's so true. I feel like with the original, at least the first two Friday the 13th movies, there was this balance of like super shallow, stupid teen deaths, but like with a surprising added element of depth. And whether it comes from like the psychology of the character or like the killer, some kind of twist at the end. But this movie disappointed me because it was just kind of shallow from top to bottom. And then maybe the thing that they tried to do that would have added that element of depth wasn't it. At least for me. Even like the water that they went through was shallow. Okay. <laughs> what? That, that is true, literally and figuratively. But I do want to unpack that with you later, Paris, because there there is a bit that they tried doing with the Jarvis family. And then we have the character Rob, who is a whole other topic I'll get onto later, linking back to Friday the 13th Part 2. So I did think feel like there was some that they tried to add depth. I think the ones who really lacked depth were the group of teens. And even then, they still tried a couple things with like Doug and Sarah, but it just, it was a swing and a miss. It was literally like, hey man, we made this movie about a family and a killer, but let's also put some horny kids in it. Yeah. And one of them kind of doesn't want to have sex, but she also does. It's funny, Paris, because you said it's pretty shallow, which I can agree with. This movie is shallow, but I think that's what I expect from a Friday the 13th movie. So I didn't go in with, oh, I'm going to get these well-developed characters. I'm going to get this plot line that's super developed. And I'm going to get the same thing I've been watching for years on end before this. But I was surprised and pleasantly surprised at how much Trish and Tommy were both the main characters and how much that I was rooting for them. Because I feel like typically it's just one final girl that I'm choosing from that I'm like kind of obsessed with or like I'm rooting for. But this one, I was like, oh, wow, I'm really rooting for Tommy and Trish. And I like that they're brought together kind of as a cohesive force. Which is a separation from the whole franchise, right? You had Alice and Bill. Then that pattern continues. You have a final girl and a guy that she's really counting on. And I think you're staged and set up to expect that in this movie. And then it doesn't work out that way, right? So I think having the opportunity to set Tommy Jarvis up in the way that he's set up in this movie is a really, really cool move. But I will say that his transformation, which I won't go into too much detail, might have been the scariest thing about this movie and not in a great way. I think the amount of broken glass was the scariest part of this movie for me. Actually, I want to I want to retract that. Jason's like thick black fingernails. Ooh. Those are the scariest thing in the movie for me. Oh yeah, that's actually true. Little sausage fingers. Well done, Tom Savini. Especially when they start getting deformed towards the end, and there's some you know accidents. Okay. I think the most cringy thing about this movie and scariest is how I can relate to some of the female characters when, you know, they're trying too hard and then they're pulling back and then they're like, oh, I'm being this cool girl and I'm not, you know, I don't know. It's just very relatable. And I'm like, maybe I'm forced to see myself in the mirror, which is kind of scary, but honestly, maybe not scary at all. I don't think you're like any of these girls. Okay. I'll, I'll take that if you want. I'll admit some of the kills kind of scared me in like a ah like i don't want to die that way kind of scare uh but there wasn't much of a fright factor 
Well, I think that's a cool move that this franchise takes as it as they progress. Because while the material can feel more rinse and repeat, I feel like the originality of the kills continues to increase in quality. So this movie is part of a franchise that's born from a lack of originality, but it becomes its own icon. And it's kind of like a snowball that keeps rolling downhill and turns into a much larger force to be reckoned with. And I feel like this movie is just really one good example of how it keeps reinventing itself. And it gives you the same thing, but serves slightly differently with at least more entertaining kills along the way. Yeah, I mean, the kills are original. That's the originality points that this movie can have. That's it, you know, but the kills do feel really good in this movie, which is a weird thing to say out loud, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Seeing as I thought I was watching Halloween for a second, and as Chris has said, it is a obvious ripoff. Not that original at all. Yeah, I also really struggled to find anything original about this movie. It it felt like a blended mashup of Friday the 13th stuff, and that wasn't particularly exciting. I think the most original thing about it is we get a lot of variations of a stabbing that I've never seen before, and I think maybe what they tried to do at the end had potential for the originality, but in the end, was it though? I mean, it was certainly original in comparison to where we've been in the previous films, right? Because those keep just pulling the same trick out on you and this one does something a little different i don't think it's the same trick they switch it up every time that it's a variation on the same trick but it's still the same trick and that's totally absent from this movie it's definitely the same trick because of that difference i actually preferred the ending to this and again it's not the deepest ending by any means but i appreciate a different approach because if they tried to do the same shit that they did with alice in the first film i was gonna lose it Man, I'm real torn about this ending. I feel like there's parts of it that I'm cool with. And then there's a couple little bits that I'm just like, well, I know y'all got to do something because I know there's 18 more movies, but also why are you doing this? You know, I think it's a no for me on the ending in general. I had such dislike for the ending. It's something this franchise has done already. And you're only on the fourth movie. Like, come on, give me something more. But then also I kind of was left with this image and you all know what image this is right at the end i'm like this just to me makes no sense you know don't give me something i mean i don't know i don't haven't seen the franchise past this so maybe there's some sort of tie to the last image you see which i would be very interested in if that was the case but if it's not it's trash i'm sure there's something but i'm i'm not interested in ties to that last image i'm completely uninterested in ties to that Overall, I feel like they tried to do something with this ending that they have done more successfully already and didn't nail it this time for me. Okay. I think I prefer the angle at which they approached this because of what they did to bake the character development, specifically of the Jarvis family and their dynamic. But we'll get to that in the second half. We obviously have to start making our way to our ratings. But before we do that, Alexis, what's our body count? We have an exciting 14 bodies in this movie. But what about the animal report? Man, there is a good boy in this movie. The goodest. The goodest. He's the whole movie, as horrific as some parts may be, is worth it for our boy Gordon. And we have a clean animal report, no matter what a rumors may be on the internet. I'm, 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 I'm letting it be known here that Gordon comes out alive. He's good. He was eating a snack the next day. Everything's fine. Excellent. I think we can all rest a little bit easier then. Let's go ahead and get into our ratings. Friday the 13th, the final chapter from 1984. 
Is it a hacker slash? I am not sure where my head is at tonight. I did watch this movie a few days ago. And I'll admit, I didn't hate it when I watched it. It was definitely a Friday the 13th movie. I didn't feel like I wasted my time. I didn't feel like the characters were developed or deep. But I didn't hate it. I thought it was entertaining. And I think it fits well in this franchise. And I don't have much more to say other than that. <laughs> I mean, it, was a, it wasn't the greatest movie. But it wasn't the worst movie either, so I definitely have to give it a slash. Not a complete, the best slash I've ever given, but definitely not a hack. I think people should watch this, especially if they're interested in this franchise. So I have previously slashed the first two Friday the 13th movies, and I hacked the third one. So this was a really important watch for me. And I was so disappointed. This movie gave me like nothing at all. The only thing it made up for in the last one was just like hot characters, because that's like kind of the gig for this franchise, at least from where I'm sitting. But it was really blah. Like it was so generic. It felt like just a an algorithm of Friday the 13th made this movie. Uh, I really like the kills though. The kills are one of my favorite parts, but the characters were all giving nothing. It's also like, and this is very specific, but it's the kind of movie where you have to ride the volume button, which is so annoying. Like it goes from like whispers to screams and seconds flat. And I'm like, oh no, my ears. But ultimately this is definitely not my favorite in the franchise. It's absolutely a hack. And I'd be surprised if this is like anyone's favorite. Now, I'm hearing things of like, oh, they developed these characters later in the franchise, so maybe this serves as like a really good origin for certain characters, but I have not seen any of those, so that is where I'm coming from. I will say it's not as bad as the third one, but it's still a hack. So with all the good kills and all the hot bodies, it still wasn't enough to slash it? Correct. So I kind of mentioned this a little bit, but there are parts of this movie that I could not stand and this scene with the nurse and the mortician man with dead bodies in his office, whoever that's supposed to be, that scene started it. The way they interact in the like sexual, I'm not going to have sex with you, please leave me alone, and then I am going to have sex with you, come here really quick. That whole thing started the tone for this movie, and then it just went downhill for me. The teenagers don't do it. They do do it, and that's part of the problem. They do it too much. And if I was like 16 and horny, I'm sure I would love watching this movie. But I'm not. I just don't care about seeing this in a movie. And I don't know how I've enjoyed any of the Friday the 13th movies after watching this one, because this makes me literally want to stay as far away from Jason as physically possible, which, to be fair, it's a fictional character, so it'll be pretty easy. But I just don't want to watch any more of the movies after this. And there are only a few redeeming qualities in this movie for me. And it's like the Jarvis family, the kills, and the special effects. That's about it. Everything else, I don't want to watch ever. I don't even want to know existed. I'd like to purge it from my brain. I plan to purge it from my brain. This is like a really intense hack for me. I really don't like this. And I was going back to see if I had hacked other Friday the 13th movies. And I can't believe that I've ever given a slash to one because they, they, this one has just completely ruined me forever. Well, like Ryan, I am not 16 and I am not horny, but I actually have a good time with this movie. And I, I have a good time because this is one of those where the mystique of Jason is built up just a little bit more. And He's already undead, but he comes back with such a force that feels way more aggressive than previous films. And on top of that, this is the first film where we see Jason able to see himself in another person. So the manipulation, the 
psychology that's been used in the previous film is present again, but it takes a new approach. And the kills are enough for me to enjoy it. Honestly, if it wasn't for the Jarvis family and if it wasn't for the kills, this would be way too mediocre and milk toast to really, really enjoy. Jason is nowhere near my favorite slasher, right? I mean, Freddy is so much better. Michael Myers, way on top of that. He comes in just above Leatherface, honestly. And Ghostface is in there in the mix as well. But this is a strong movie for me. It doesn't do enough to really offend me. It doesn't do enough to put me off of the kills. The gore is an improvement. The special effects are an improvement. And it feels like the correct Jason in terms of his physical appearance. And that's something we'll get into a little bit later with Tom Savini. But it's a slash. And with that, we're split down the middle, much like one of Jason's hands. Now you can find this movie streaming online. Check it out or not. But either way, join us in the second half so we can unpack the rest of it together. I'll see you in a bit. Have you always wondered what your past lovers think of you? Were you dumped and you don't know why? Are you concerned that you may be a dead fuck? Download Welp today. Welp is a sexual media platform that allows users to leave reviews for one another's sexual performance. It's like Yelp, but sluttier. Concerned about an upcoming Tinder date? Download Welp, give them a lookup, and decide early on if you want a hookup. Not unlike our target demographic, these ratings go both ways. Leave a review for the best you've ever had, and if they call you back, you'll surely be glad. Did it make your bell ring, or was it underwhelming? Spread the word by whelping. Welp, that happened. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which has earned two hacks and two slashes. Now, we have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, we have the matter of, we've already said it, lots of gore to get to. Alexis, what's the gore score for this movie? Hopefully I don't catch too much hate, but I'm definitely saying medium on this. You know, it was a lot, probably for the time and for the franchise, but in general, I don't think it was like crazy amount of gore to get like a high rating. This isn't my territory. I'm So I'm telling you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like it's high. It's not the insane high rating, you know. There's a lot going on, bro. There's a lot. I I could feel the comparable medium in comparison, right? Like, I I feel medium. It's high for the Friday the 13th franchise up to this point. But I feel feel the medium territory. I see where you're coming from. I can see both sides. You go both ways? (laughs) So, I know everyone talked about before the spoiler break there favorites about the gore um before we get to some of the gore research we have i love to hear about everyone's favorite kill i feel like there's so many good kills here that actually as this movie was going and as they were happening i was taking note like oh that's my favorite so far and i think i ended up with like four different favorites interesting so you should have just added 10 more well there's actually a few where i was like wow that's probably going to be everyone's favorite so i'll just use a different one so i'm going to give a couple honorable mentions because truly this movie has so many good kills the first one that i loved was the nurse morgan almost a hot dog slice you know that's like a thing here it's a thing we care about in the realm of this movie it actually was not that exciting you almost forget that it happened but when it happened i was like ooh slice that girl up that was one that i forgot the 
intensity of that kill yeah. because I always remembered it as a stab and a plunge. I didn't remember it as a lift and a separate. You know what I mean? It was a lot. It was a lot. And then the other one that I have to go for is Tina literally flying through the window because so many people flew through windows in this movie that you have to give a favorite to one of them. There was just, I think there was like 10, literally. Yeah. I'm torn between two. One of them seems really obvious and it's Jason's kill at the end. Of course. We we got a lot of really good gore with that, but I'm going to give it to the one that made me feel the most and that was Paul. He was stabbed in the dick and then lifted by the thing stabbing him in the dick out of the water, which was just... <gasps> The spear gun. Yeah. And honestly, he deserved it. I wasn't a fan of Paul. We'll get there later with our dive into characters, but fuck that guy. The first one that I absolutely loved was Axel Mm. because never has there been a more loathsome character in this franchise for me than this fucking guy. I loved the sudden hacksaw to the neck and then the broken neck on top of that to add insult to injury. It's just Jason knew what he was doing and I, I was there for it. But also, again, there were so many good ones, like Samantha getting stabbed through the boat. Like, uh, so horrific. Just terrible. That poor girl got hypothermia during that shoot. In real life? In real life, yeah, because it was a fake body in the in the raft. And then her real body was down, like, in the water. Oh. And they wouldn't let her get out. She was, like, shivering. Oh, my gosh. It's in that Crystal Lake Memories documentary. Oh, my gosh. Chris, I'm really surprised you didn't mention Samantha. I feel like it was just so iconic. Uh, I mean, it's okay. Why would I celebrate Samantha? She was clearly a misunderstood woman the whole time. She deserved better. But Axel, fuck that guy. Yeah, I agree with Paul, too. I'm like, you know, stabbed in the penis, totally (laughs) going for it. But Samantha, to me, was so iconic. You know, you have this boat scene. You have, you know, just something you've seen in the series. And I appreciated that so much. Can I tell you the death that has always disappointed me? I've always hated it so much because it feels like just fat shaming, right? I hate that with a fiery passion. It's the hitchhiker. It's the hitchhiker who's just living her best life, trying to get a ride. They insult her. They're mean to her. Then she tries trying to just, you know, eat a banana. And like, they just focus on that so much. And even in the script, she was written in as like fat girl. And I absolutely hate that. Honestly, people commenting and talking shit about people's weight is the number one way to make me fucking hate your guts. Hate it. I have another weak sauce kill, actually. And that's how disappointed I was with Rob's death. Because A, he's built up to be this guy who's going to be exacting revenge for his sister who died in part two when she was having sex. And that's one thing. But the second thing is that they wrote his death for him to announce what was happening to him. And it was supposed to harken back to this actual crime and it just didn't land. But for him to just get so easily dispatched by Jason... But for so long to say, oh, my God, he's killing me. Oh, my God. I mean, at this point, he was just wrestling you, sir. At this point, you were not struck. And he's just shouting it and telling her to run, which the running I get. But they, oh, my God, he's killing me. It was laughable at best. Yeah, I feel like to have such a what seemed to be important character just go out like that. I was like, all right. I mean, we didn't even get like a fun kill out of it. It was just some banging in the dark. Much like the rest of this movie, banging in the dark. Wait, I just want to give one last mention 
to another great kill, which was Doug getting his head crushed against the wall in the shower scene. Um, because when beautiful people have their faces crushed, I think it's really ironic and poetic in a lot of ways. It also reminded me of the first kill in the reboot of Wrong Turn, in which our friend Vardan gets his head crushed between two logs. I did love that kill. It was great. Beautiful people should have their faces crushed in horror movies. <laughs> Going back to what you previously said, Chris, talking about Rob's death, it's funny that you mentioned that because this he's killing me scene actually was referencing a real life murder of Kitty Genovese, who was stabbed to death in the middle of the night while walking to her apartment. It's claimed that 38 neighbors heard her scream, oh my God, he's stabbing me, he's killing me, but no one ended up helping her. So Rob is actually referencing that in this movie, which I think is terrifying. I've seen the documentary about Kitty in particular, and it's heartbreaking and devastating. There are so many, because it happened right in front of an apartment building, there are so many people who heard, and she actually didn't get killed immediately. She got attacked, the killer left, and then came back and finished her off. And it's the whole idea of passive bystanders, right? It's like everybody, when you're in a crowd, you think someone else is going to do something about it. So you just don't do anything. That's very last house on the left. Can I argue that that doesn't have a place in this movie at all? 100% did not stick the landing. It's just a weird place for that. I agree. So continue on with Des. Um, at the end of the movie where Corey Feldman hacks up Jason with a machete is actually done with Feldman chopping away at two sandbags. Also, in the original script, Tommy was supposed to decapitate Jason with the machete, but the filmmakers, you know, wanted Jason to come back probably a second time, so don't actually kill him completely, just almost kill him, which I'm not sure if I appreciate or not. I, I, you know, I appreciate leaving a door open for future artists, right? Because then you'd, you'd have to like completely reboot everything and start from scratch. Whereas I think the tactic they use to continue the franchise is not a bad one. Once you, I mean, it's silly, honestly, the mechanic, but it, it wouldn't have worked had he been decapitated. I know we all love our actors going towards great lengths while they are performing. And Chris did mention this before, but yes, Samantha, who is played by Judy Arnson, she spent a lot of time in the water during that scene. So she did indeed develop hypothermia during filming because of the freezing temperatures late at night shooting. Which I think is insane because once again, another movie where the actresses and actors just get abused and I feel like this is not the way to live. Yeah. I mean, Peter Barton, right, in his shower kill was actually thrown up against the wall pretty aggressively and the guy who was playing Jason tried to advocate on their on their part like, we don't need to do this to people. We can treat people well. That's hot. Hot, but I think hypothermia is like a little extensive. No, I mean, advocating for like safety on a set is hot. Yeah. And it's wild when you have the guy who's playing the killer doing that, right? And it ended up being such a thing that he refused to be credited in this movie. Like this guy is not credited as Jason in the movie. He wanted nothing to do with it after that because of the experience making this film. So going from gore, which is one of the really good parts of this movie, my favorite thing to look at wasn't necessarily the kills, but for me, visually, the effects that we get with it. And the one that really stands out for me is the squished head. That was beautiful with like eyeballs popping out, but not too overdone. And then another one that stands out for me is like when we have Jason's hand sliced in half with the machete and his fingers are literally like spreading apart mm -hmm. oh it's like you could feel that happening and i knew it wasn't his hand but it felt like his hand it was rough but the effects in this movie are really really nice to look at and really surprised me for friday the 13th i wasn't expecting that absolutely and i have the 
final chapter, Jason Nekadol. And they have one of his alternate hands is the split hand. And it's just so good. The attention to detail in these things is unreal. I actually saw that because I was like looking for details about the effects, especially about the hand. And a lot of the information was just like, here's the NECA doll with a hand. It's so good. Honestly, this is why I have an addiction. And it's a terrible thing. But I would absolutely agree with you. The effects in this movie are so stellar. For me, it's actually the look of Jason because we get Jason, young Jason in the first film, right? And we see what his head would have looked like as he was coming up out of the lake. And then Tom Savini has now returned to the franchise to really age him up and kill him off. But we get a a Jason's face that actually makes sense. We see him in part two with the sack head removed when he's plunging through a window. We've seen different bits of his face and he just looks different and doesn't look or feel consistent with what we originally saw. I love, as much as he's disgusting, I love the look of Jason in this movie. Yeah, I have to agree. Again, the effects are just so good. And I feel like he looks creepy. He looks like he's died a few times. He looked like he's lived in the water a little bit. You know, he he pulls it off from head to toe and from head to fingertip that's disgusting. Yeah, he's definitely been through the trenches on that. This hand scene was definitely a favorite visual of mine. Just seeing that, I mean, it looks like the ultimate paper cut. To be quite honest. Between your fingers? Yes. You know what it feels like versus what it looks like? It feels like it looks like that, to be honest. You guys were talking about his face, and I love this. Yeah, he does look gruesome to me, but also I kind of feel bad for him, and I think I always get this sort of vibe from Jason. I just feel bad, and I think seeing him and then seeing Trish's expressions, like like she's so grossed out by it, and then... He's obviously upset and I don't know, to me, it feels like Jason's more embarrassed by his looks than he is just wanting to kill someone. I don't know. I mean, he wears the mask for a reason. You're giving me a complex. It's not very nice. Exactly. Talking about my mama, you know, acting like me, you know, Tommy, what the heck. Tommy's visuals and his transformation are kind of like my favorite because I was not expecting that. All of a sudden it seemed like, and I had to rewind the movie, but it seemed like Tommy disappeared from the movie and then reappeared shaving his head. Well, he was there and he rinsed his head. And I was like, is this man just stressed out putting his head in the sink? There was a moment where I was like, what are you doing, Tommy? And then he pulled out some scissors a few minutes later and I was like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, I love that exasperated sigh from Trish. You were supposed to leave. Just the annoying little brother who never fucking listens, right? Thank God. I gotta say, I did not care for the visual of Tommy looking bald with a few scraggly hairs. Uh, but we can talk a little bit more about that later. But my favorite visual element had to be all of the like dark, low light ambient shots we got in the forest where there was just a fog bank rolling in or like a little bit of like a misty haze. A lot of those shots were really beautiful and really well lit uh, and they were very enjoyable to look at. I did enjoy rainy forest outside the tent. Absolutely. But scraggly haired Tommy is not the move. I get the intent and I'm not mad at it at all, but he looks so fucking weird. What really killed me though was the fact that he ends up at the hospital with Trish and no one thought to just give this man a razor to cut the little scraggly bits off. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to go for this whole look, Tommy, at least clean yourself up. You've obviously showered since then. 
Yes, like, please, the rest of the hair can be cut off. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I really appreciated about the movie as a whole. It's looking at the parallels between Tommy and Jason. Obviously, both having moms that have been murdered at this point, one by the other's hand. Who's counting here? But looking at Jason being able to connect with Tommy or see himself in Tommy is a different angle from what we've seen where all these women just try to point out Jason's mommy issues. You know what I mean? I really appreciated the approach of Tommy trying to just show Jason his own reflection and throw him off a bit there. It wasn't my favorite scene, though. My favorite scene is undoubtedly the beginning of the movie. Just past previously on Friday the 13th and picking up right where the third movie ended with Jason's dead body in the barn and the police cleaning up. Because while it's not even the strongest scene in the movie, and I think the kills really take take things to another level, I just love so much how these movies just run boom, 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 one right after the other up until this point. Like, this is the last movie that does it. I absolutely love that. And it gives me this sense of like, okay, all right, I know where we are. I know where we've been. And here's where we're starting. It just gives me like a really good sense of like orientation in this franchise. That was one of my favorite parts, just because I could follow it very easily. And then I have to worry about time in between, because I feel like with that, you have to this person age, why is this? What happened this? You have a lot of questions, but no, you're right. It's bam, bam, bam. You don't have that many questions. You know what you're getting into. Weirdly enough, this conversation between Axel and Nurse Morgan in the beginning of the movie is my favorite, just because my sister and I have this really weird connection where when we're talking or something bad happens, we'll just say a lot of curse words and jumble them up that makes no sense. So it was very like it hit home to me and it was, you know, very warm and pleasing when I heard Axel say, holy Jesus, Jesus Christmas, goddamn jumping Christmas shit. I was like, yep, I'm using jumping Christmas shit this Christmas. This is going to be my line. <laughs> I'm going to be real. When you first started with, you know, the scene with Axel and Nurse Morgan and my sister and I have this connection. I'm like, where the fuck is this going? Was not expecting it to land quite there. Again, yes. I guess I set everyone up for something that it's not. That is sound real weird. Within the last few episodes, there was another thing that you said where you were like, I have this connection to this movie. And I was like, what? And this is another one of those moments. It was with a creepy therapist. In student bodies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And I was like, wait, what? Once again, you did it. And it was the cardboard thing. Yeah. It's all, you listen, Alexis, you scare us all the time. But I'm so glad that you have something to connect to this movie on a personal level with. <laughs> For me... I'm going to go, even though I really have spent a lot of time complaining about this, I'm going to go for a ridiculous scene. And one of my favorite scenes is the skinny dipping. Wow, Ryan. It's chaos. Did I steal yours? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is the only part of Horny Teenagers at the Cabin that worked for me because it was fun. It wasn't like creepy, I might be raping you tonight. I'm not really sure because I'm not sure if everyone has given consent to the situation. That energy was gone. And it was just like, hey, we're on a trip. We're having some fun. We're going to go skinny dipping. Like, we're just chill. It was cool. I didn't need Tommy to show up, though. I didn't need a horny 10-year-old. But it was a really good time. I enjoyed that a lot. I didn't. I don't know why they kept skinny dipping the whole night. Like, they didn't bring bathing suits to the lake at all. But the skinny dipping scene was funny. 
Yeah, it was just like lighthearted, youthful frivolity. You know, it was very just fun. Like you said, a little bit sexy, a little bit like, ooh, what are we going to do? Ooh, these strange twins all both took their tops off. We're just having fun. What's going to happen? And it's like, oh, we know what's going to happen. You're all going to be killed. But two things about that I, that I enjoyed. One, seeing all of them struggle to use a rope swing properly, <laughs> just like dragging into the water and not grabbing it high enough where they actually swing into the water. And then I loved the prank that like Samantha played on Sarah when she's like pretending to drown under the dock. And Sarah's like actually bugging. She's like, oh no, she is going to stay under there. And I was like, you can't drown yourself, you dumb bitch. But then seeing Samantha's little like boobs and like dead floater face like come out from under the dock before she grabbed her. I thought that was very funny. It was adorable. I enjoyed the rapport there. You're right. Uh, Tommy showing up on that whole thing was a little eh. I could have done without Tommy's excitement for seeing nudity but obviously i guess you know a child hitting puberty i guess i don't don't know the whole thing's weird to me i also just don't really like Corey feldman so the whole thing was like a swing and a miss for me i will say the strongest character in this movie was chris higgins and you may say no but she wasn't in this movie she was in part three but she was in this movie in the hospital scene where they're wheeling the body in she's being hugged by her parents in one of the waiting rooms I'm sorry. Do you love this person? I do. She's one of my favorite final girls from this franchise. <laughs> but that I think that goes to say, right? Like Trish is solid. Tommy Jarvis as an idea, solid. Not mad at it. But the rest of the characters are kind of meh for me, honestly. Like I'm not a fan of Jimbo. Not a fan of Teddy. Doug and Sarah are okay, but none of them give me the energy of I really enjoy you, Rob. I appreciate having, because he connects us back to part two, but also here's what I think about. This is all taking place over a weekend, right? His sister dies in part two, which takes place right before part three, which takes place right before part four. So it's like, that's a, that's a really, that's fast acting to acting for you, Rob, man. Like you're really showing up. If your sister had died in part one by Pamela Voorhees, I get it, but you're really showing up at the last possible second here. He found out about that body missing from the morgue and those two missing people from the hospital within like five hours. And in this time, there's just no way, no cell phones. Yeah. Like he was already, he was on his way. Honestly, save Rob for the next movie. Don't put him in this movie because the idea there is really cool and I appreciated it. I'm not against Rob, but it was a little bit too much in this application. I'm against Rob. Rob did nothing for me. And now that you mention it, it makes even less sense. Like having this like what seemed like a age age old vendetta for this like revenge. Day old vendetta, bro. Yeah. When now that I'm realizing that I'm like, yeah, this is like the same weekend that this happened. Doesn't make any sense. His motivation, I was like, I get it, but you're just kinda giving me douche vibes and you're so useless. He was somebody who seemed like he should have been really competent, but then actually contributed nothing. So true. He seemed like he'd have all the tools, he'd have so much to do. He had a machete and I don't think he used it not once. He just got it into the hands of the killer. <laughs> That's true. Yep. He was the the means of conveyance. But I wasn't mad at it because again, it hypes you up to expect him to be the final guy to Trisha's final girl. But then you realize that Tommy's the final guy. You know what I mean? So like I was okay with a bait and switch and I was okay because I think when Rob gets taken out, granted this isn't the first Friday the 13th movie. So we've always seen the big strong guy get taken out. But when he in particular, because of how competent he seems and because he's not some horn dog who's trying to just, you know, 
propositional woman the entire movie he seems on paper like someone who should make it to the end and then he doesn't it's kind of like oh well they're fucked and i think he kind of ups the ante a bit for you to expect at least not trish to make it maybe yeah i think as far as characters for me i liked the jarvis family a lot i think they were people that i could at least somewhat relate to because everyone else in this movie just felt like a caricature of a person like all the teens or however old they were supposed to be all just felt like a caricature of a teenager like oh my god i'm so horny literally all i talk about is sex it almost felt like a group of kids that were in student bodies just making fun of how they can only think about sex all the time, you know? And then the nurses, again, all they can talk about is sex. I don't know. I I didn't want to be a part of anything in this movie except the Jarvis family. And I'm, I didn't necessarily love them, but they were at least interesting and gave me something. And there was a dog. So Gordon was the best part of this movie. <laughs> he was the best character. Yeah. And I will say that, I mean, looking at that nurse situation you're talking about, I was really encouraged when she said, Axel, you are the Super Bowl of self-abuse. But then she falls right back into her self-abusive patterns. And I hated that. Uh, Axel is the worst part of this movie because he is pure trash. Mm-hmm. And had he just noticed Jason's little breath and closed the morgue door properly, maybe we wouldn't have been in this situation, sir. These characters essentially kind of remind me of Paris and I's character on our anniversary episode last year. Oh my God, yes. Yes, they're very stereotypical. Like we played into that and I think we played into it very well. (laughs) Just dumb hotties, you know? Here for a good time and not a long time. Arguing about which one's sluttier. (laughs) But in actuality, I think the Jarvis's brought a breath of fresh air to this cast. I mean, they weren't the best at acting, but they definitely were something different from this cast. I do want to give a shout out to Crispin Glover. I know we talked about him earlier. And I've also mentioned previously the first two horror movies that I rented at Blockbuster, I believe, was House of a Thousand Corpses in Willard. Crispin Glover is in Willard and is obsessed with these like freaking rats in his house. And there are some rats in this movie. And I was like, is this the prequel to Willard? Like, I was so confused for a second. (laughs) There was a very obscure, like, specific rat shot. And I was like, okay, a rat? (laughs) (laughs) What does this have to do with camp? (laughs) Really, what does any of this movie have to do with camp? Nothing. I know, Chris, you mentioned that you like Rob being the bait and switch. But to me, he was just the worst part of this movie because I felt like he didn't bring anything. He seemed to be there to assist Trish, but not actually assist her. To me, it was a way to bring the other movies into the series. But I do appreciate that you said that Tommy was the final guy or final boy. But to me, Rob was the worst part. I don't even think his story needed to be in this movie like you said it probably would be better in five and beyond you brought the lore that existed two days before (laughs) so i have been sitting here doing that thing that ryan and i sometimes do where we hack a movie and then think that we get to talk about the worst part of it uh but i have to come up with the best part and that's tough i mean if i had never seen a friday the 13th movie i would say the best part is how hot the characters are because there's really no uggos this time around But they've done that successfully before, so it's not that great. Oh, okay, you know what? I think one of the best parts of this movie is the scene where they have Crispin Glover blocking off a doorway by pinning up his body on the opposite side of the door. So when they open it, it's just like, well, I'm not going out that way, I guess. And then they show it from the outside, and then later Jason, like, yanks the body down and it tears through his hands. Ooh. 
I enjoyed that very much. Yeah. So mine kind of relates to that as well. My best part of this movie is like the final chases that we get at the ending of this movie throughout both of the houses. So it kind of starts at the end in in that house with the doors being blocked off and her having to jump through the windows to get out because there's so much window jumping in this movie. And then they go back to their house and do a bit of chasing around again. So for me, it's kind of actually the whole ending is the best part of this movie literally until the moment they want me to believe that Tommy's crazy. And they start playing the freaking music, the Jason music, while Tommy's hugging his sister. It goes from best to worst so quickly. Uh, We have a a long, drawn-out chase of an injured blonde through multiple houses, and a young boy Tommy is involved. Sounds like Halloween. I mean, it's not not, okay? But also, it's every horror movie with one killer ever, so... Starting with Halloween. Yeah, whatever. It's Jamie Lee Curtis's birthday. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I do have to give a worse part here, even though I know that's not my job. I really just need to talk about this really quick. And that is the ridiculous video that plays on Axel's TV. And I just want you to know that our lovely Chris here found out that this is a real movie and it is called Aerobicize. Okay. (laughs) And I need to understand why they were in a circle rubbing butts for an exercise. Staph infections. Oh, I thought you meant like the black and white porn that they were watching. Nope. The black and white porn was great. Wait, what was the booty dancing? Yeah, the random leotard booty dancing. It was the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay, that might have been my best part now that you mention it. Once again, just a reminder that this movie is the closest thing you could find to porn in the 80s, evidently. And I'm not sure that that's a fact, but that's what it feels like. And this movie, again, like uses a jazzercise video as like, they make it seem like he's watching porn at work, but it's a yeah. aerobicize video. Like, what? I do just want to throw one last worst part log onto the worst part fire that we've built. And that is Crispin Glover's dancing in that scene. Oh, my God. It was so aggressively bad that I, I was like, is this supposed to be bad? And then it got so much worse that I was like, is it actually him dancing? I, I really don't know, but it was something I can't watch again. Sorry. One more thing. <laughs> <laughs> The girls riding in on bikes, moaning, and then getting (laughs) off the bikes and walking the direction they just came from to say, oh, that's where we were on our way to. And they just turned around and went with them. Wait, I didn't even catch that. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's where we're going. Listen, it was a bumpy trail. Mm -hmm. I do want to just point out for you, Paris, with Crispin Glover's Strange Dance, that was actually done by him as a reflection of the dancing he does in clubs. And he was dancing to an ACDC song on set. That's what I was afraid of. I fully believe that. That's the unfortunate part. Real sad. When they say white people have no rhythm, you think it's not that bad. And then you see this and you're like, oh, kill me now. Well, despite the fire that's burning for all your worst parts here, do you think this is something you would ever watch again? Not a chance. I'm going to pull a Mac and I'll watch these all in order in a little marathon. I couldn't do it. I maybe put this on in the background. Realistically, no, never. Every Friday the 13th, I have a Friday the 13th marathon and I will continue to do so. This movie will be among them because really there's only one horrible Friday the 13th movie and we haven't even gotten there yet. Uh oh. So this will be a rewatch. We still have a little ways to go before we get to that one, but you'll know it when you see it. And dear listener, if you think you know which one I'm talking about, let us know. Tweet at us. I want to know what your worst one is. But despite you not wanting to watch this again, I am going to make you suffer through a little bit more with some factor fiction. 
Do you feel prepared? No. Literally never, but Mac's not here to trick us, so... My diaphragm is ready. Well, let's go ahead and get started with number one. When Joseph Zito was approached about Friday the 13th Part 4, he insisted he'd only do so if he could also have a hand in writing. I hope it's fiction, because I don't want anyone to have a hand in writing this. I feel like this is fact. I have no idea who that is, so I'm going to guess fiction. He's the director, and it is in fact fiction, because they wanted him. When they approached him, they wanted him to both write and direct, to which he responded, but I'm not a writer. And they responded with, here's a contract paying you double to write and direct, to which he responded, yeah, I'm totally a writer. (laughs) And he basically hired someone in secret to help him write the script. Wow, that's how you do it. The script was like done over phone calls. I mean, I'm not mad at that. Mm -hmm. So, one of the actual writers of the film, Barney Cohen, moving on to number two, he originally wrote a scene involving Jason fondling Trisha's breasts, but the producers ultimately vetoed it. Ooh, that feels like a very uncomfortable Texas Chainsaw Massacre situation, and this movie does steal a lot from previous slashers. Maybe I'll go fact. I think I'm going to go fact. This sounds so real, but I have a feeling it's the reverse. Like... The production or the producers wanted him to make a boob fondling scene and the writer was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like Trish fondles Jason's boobs? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Little hand gestures. Well, this is in fact a fact. So even the director, Joseph Zito, disliked the scene because he felt, among other things, that it made Jason feel too human and less menacing because then he's just a guy. So the scene was ultimately excised. Moving on to number three. Now, in order to make the most of their nearly $2 million budget at new locations, director Joseph Zito opted to not return to Higgins Haven, where the previous film was set, and instead use unused footage from part three to begin this film. I would like to go fact. I'll go fact here, even though it's probably a fiction, because that's how it's going. I will say fiction. Well, that's a fiction. This is actually the only film in the series to shoot new footage at a previous location. Moving along to number four. During filming, Kimberly Beck, who plays Trish, experienced strange occurrences, including a man watching her while she ran in the park and strange phone calls at all hours. True, that happens in Hollywood. I'll go with that with a fact. I'm going to go fiction. That's not strange at all. I think it did happen, though. Because men do that all the time. It is fact. Uh, It was strange for her at the time, and thankfully it stopped when production was over. Thank God. She deserves. Mm-hmm. And finally here with number five. In an attempt at method acting, Lawrence Monison decided that since his character Ted is stoned when he dies, he would try actually smoking pot for real in order to film the scene. Oh, this movie, the inebriation acting in this movie is maybe the worst I've ever seen. So they have to be sober. So fiction. Yeah, from somebody who has spent a lot of time high as hell, I can absolutely clock this as somebody who's probably never smoked weed before. Coming from someone who has smoked a little bit of weed and might act like that, I'm going to still say this is fiction. Ooh, well, sucks to suck because it's definitely a fact. I'm not saying that his high footage was used in the movie, but he definitely did light it up and he definitely did get high during production. Any excuse. And he also found that in his intoxicated state, it was way too difficult to fully concentrate on what the hell he was doing. It do be that way sometimes. Get it? Do be. (laughs) That was the joke. But just in case they didn't get it. (laughs) Cute. Well, there you have it, folks. Friday the 13th, the final chapter, has earned two hacks and two slashes 
split right down the middle. Now, while we certainly had a lot to talk about here, it doesn't end here by any means. This franchise is a storied one. So many of you out there bought that super dope Scream Factory collection and have undoubtedly seen this recently, so we want to know what you think. Keep in mind, there are a number of ways you can reach out to us, starting with our website, hackerslash.com. We're on our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you've stayed in a cabin in the woods on the lake, please let us know about it. You can reach out to our hacker slash hotline. You can leave us a voicemail at 757-606-0128 or visit hackerslash.com slash contact to send us an audio message. Or if you want to go skinny dipping in a lake, you can send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons. You can visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to earn cool perks for as low as $1 a month. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember... Never get rejected by the same girl twice, because no means no. Bye.